coming to you from the Dietitians and Nutrition Support Dietetic Practice Group. This is the DNS Member Podcast, where we explore topics relevant to our field. From support line content to nutrition celebrity interviews and everything in between, this podcast is where DNS members can go behind the scenes and explore the driving forces behind cutting-edge nutrition support. I'm your host, Christina Rollins. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to the DNS Podcast. Our guest today is Registered Dietitian Nutritionist Erica Howes, here to talk with us about weight bias. Erica is a postdoctoral associate at Virginia Tech in the Department of Human Nutrition, Foods, and Exercise, where she earned her PhD and completed her dissertation research focused on weight bias and dietary assessment. She also holds a Master of Science degree in Nutrition and a Master of Public Health degree with a concentration in Health Promotion and Health Behavior, both from Oregon State University. She is a registered dietitian nutritionist with clinical experience counseling patients with eating disorders in both structured treatment settings and at the outpatient level. Erica has also been involved in teaching undergraduate nutrition courses and enjoys working with dietetic students. Her research interests include weight bias and stigma, dietary intake assessment methodology, eating disorders and disordered eating, and weight management. Erica, thank you so much for joining us today on the DNS podcast. So let's jump right into our topic. What is weight bias and how does it impact the care that we provide to our patients? Yeah, so I feel like weight bias has been kind of a hot topic lately and for good reason. Um, So weight bias refers to stereotypes or negative attitudes about people with a higher body weight. Um, And sometimes you might hear this called weight stigma, but weight stigma is really the idea of like societal devaluation of people with obesity. Um, And also something I wanted to mention is that sometimes weight bias is also called obesity bias because it usually refers to people with a higher body weight. And does weight bias apply to individuals in the underweight category as well? Or when we say weight bias, are we really just talking about overweight and obesity categories? Yeah, so I would say most of the time when we say weight bias, we're talking about weight bias towards people with higher body weights. But it does sometimes also happen that people can receive bias or stigma about their weight, shape, or size if they are in a smaller body. And a lot of this has to do with cultural ideals about body size. So in some cultures, having a smaller body size is less valued than having a larger body size, for example. Well, and that kind of leads into my next question. You know, I think we, we talk a lot about weight, um, obesity, overweight status here in the United States, but is weight bias common across the world or is it really just a concern here in this country? Yeah, I think this is something that's growing in interest throughout the world. Um, I will say that most of the research that I've seen on weight bias has been in kind of westernized, industrialized countries. Um, I've seen work out of Canada, the UK, Australia, and Brazil are kind of the main places where weight bias research comes from. Um, But I think when we're thinking about country-specific attitudes about weight, we really have to think about the cultural standards around body size and some of those underpinnings. Um, I think a lot of people 
kind of postulate that weight bias has come about in the United States because of some of the Protestant ideals that have shaped our country, this idea of self-determination and the Protestant work ethic. And so country by country, you're going to see differences based on that sort of history. Um, but it definitely is an area of growing interest across the world. Well, we mentioned in your bio that you did your PhD dissertation on the topic of weight bias. So what drew you to this topic kind of to, to get started? Yeah, I had experience working in the field of eating disorders. And through this work, I had experience working with people of a wide variety of body shapes or sizes, because we know that eating disorders don't discriminate based on body size. And I was hearing stories from a lot of my patients that had higher body weights, that they'd had negative experiences with healthcare providers specifically. So I may have heard stories from people about their doctor only wanting to focus on their weight, even though they had concerns about their eating patterns, or perhaps somebody who had had a negative experience, even with a dietitian, um, related to weight loss efforts. And so I was really interested in some of those social aspects around eating and food and weight and how weight bias all tied that together. What's your approach when you're talking with a patient who is overweight or obese, but maybe isn't ready to implement changes um, towards improving their health? Yeah, I think when I'm working one-on-one -on -one with a patient, I really try to take a patient-centered approach. So if somebody's not perhaps ready to make some behavioral choices or changes, rather, it might be you know, talking with them about how their motivation changes over time. We might explore what's important to them with their values. Maybe they want to be able to go play with their kids outside and they can't do that based on their body shape right now or some of their mobility issues, for example. So I think working with them on what their goals are and how a behavioral change might support making those changes to meet their goals or, you know, just kind of sitting with them and working through that motivation process, seeing if that changes over time, because ultimately it is the patient's goal or the patient's choice, whether they want to pursue weight loss. And I don't think that it is the dietitian's role to tell somebody to lose weight if that's not something that they're interested in at the moment. Have you experienced that in your practice where you were working with a, a patient or a client who maybe somebody else was pushing them to lose weight and they really just weren't there. You know, it, it wasn't one of their personal goals. And, you know, if so, how did you handle that situation? Yeah, I think a lot of what I've experienced with patients is people that may have kind of put weight loss on the back burner because they were really looking to explore their relationship with food and they may have had some disordered eating patterns or disordered exercise patterns. And it was really important for them to address that first rather than focusing on weight loss. And so I think a lot of that ended up being me communicating with the healthcare team and talking about, you know, what this is what we're working through right now. And a lot of that does end up being things like working towards healthy amounts of physical activity or working towards adding in more fruits and vegetables, which can all be health promoting, which is something that as a dietitian, I really encourage my patients to do. But 
I think thinking about framing it in terms of weight loss or in terms of, you know, we're not really focusing on weight loss right now um, is something that I let the patient guide. Thinking about weight bias, are there any words or phrases that we should avoid when we're interacting with patients or when we're discussing even patient cases with other members of the healthcare team? Yeah, I think this is a really hot topic in this area of weight bias and weight stigma, thinking about language. Um, there's a lot of different opinions on the words that we should use to talk about weight. But I think in the scientific community, we've really kind of coalesced around the idea of using person first or people first language. So rather than saying an obese patient, saying a patient with obesity. Um, and so in interprofessional communication, that's a practice that I would recommend that all dietitians get in the habit of doing. Um, when we're writing scientific papers in the world of research, there are certain journals that require the use of person-first language when we're talking about weight. So I think that it's a good practice that can help to put the patient at the center of the communication rather than just a focus on their weight status. And then when we're talking about communicating with patients, um, there's also some research that's been done on this kind of area and I think a good place to start that's kind of a neutral way to approach talking about weight with a patient is to just use the word weight rather than use the words obesity or obese. Because I think a lot of those words can be really emotionally charged. So rather than saying, you know, would you like to talk about your obesity when talking with a patient, you might say something like, would you like to talk about your weight? Or is it okay if we talk about your weight? so that it's really neutral. And you know, you may also, if you have more time with the patient, kind of think about having a more in-depth conversation about how you might work with that patient and talk about weight with them in a way that makes them feel comfortable because ultimately it's up to the patient how they want to talk about weight, if they wanna talk about weight, um, if that's something that they're comfortable with. Yeah, so they may be there for a referral for another reason, but it just so happens that they're also overweight or obese. So of course, we want to promote those healthy eating habits, healthy activity, but we need to meet the patient where they are, right? And we need to focus on how we can help them be well. Exactly. You mentioned a minute ago about research. How does weight bias impact the research and the evidence-based guidelines that we're, we're, we're reading as healthcare professionals and we're building our practice? Yeah, I think a lot of this has evolved over the last, you know, several decades as we've learned more about the underlying causes of obesity. And I think this is even developing to this day with some of these new medications and seeing how effective they are in comparison to previous standards of care for obesity. I think we're learning a lot more about certain things that cause obesity that are outside of personal control. And so I think the conversation about these complicated causes of obesity helps to shift some of the attitudes or hopefully helps to shift some of the attitudes around weight bias um, as people are starting to realize that this isn't necessarily a disease caused by personal choice or personal responsibility. I think we can be more compassionate and understanding as healthcare providers and also write better guidelines and write 
better research studies that can learn more about what we can do as healthcare professionals to address people's body weights, because we know that this is something that many people have an interest in changing. And so the more that we know about the causes of obesity, the more that we can do to help find solutions. Well, this conversation today, I, I think, is very timely because you have a new publication out, Communicating Weight Bias in Dietetics Practice, Recommendations for Reduction of Weight Bias and Stigma. And this was published in the Journal of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. In this article, you outlined opportunities for reducing weight bias and stigma in dietetics practice. So tell us about this article and, and really the, the key messages that you're you're putting out there with this document. Yeah, so I think the overarching message of this article is that dietitians working in a wide variety of fields have the opportunity to help reduce weight bias through their work. And so of course, you know, people that are working in patient care type settings have the opportunity to do things like communicate in a sensitive way with patients about their weight by using inclusive language or having those conversations about language, you know, having size inclusive furniture in their waiting areas or in their patient care areas, making sure just patients feel comfortable interacting with the healthcare system because there is good research that shows that if people have negative experiences in healthcare, they're more likely to avoid going to future healthcare appointments. And so dietitians working anywhere from the inpatient setting to the outpatient setting can take action to make sure patients have positive experiences with healthcare providers. And I think that also goes up to dietitians who might be working on the management level or helping to write hospital policies, they can help to set some of that culture around how we think about weight and obesity in hospital settings. Um, there has been some interesting research about how hospital culture can lead to people passing weight bias and negative attitudes about weight down to trainees that are working in the hospital. So administrators can help to set that standard and set the tone for how we talk about weight in the hospital settings. And then I think, you know, dietitians who are working in education or working as professors in universities have the opportunity to set the tone for how they talk about obesity, even when using things like case studies. So if you're talking about obesity and trying to teach your students in medical nutrition therapy class, for example, you might want to include a case study about obesity that's complicated and acknowledges some of these complex underpinnings of obesity rather than including some of those stereotypes about people with obesity in those case studies. And then finally, dietitians that are working in research have the opportunity to see if there's ways and interventions that we can do to decrease weight bias, especially in our new dietitians that are in training, maybe they're students, maybe they're interns. What is it that we can do as dietitians to help to promote better attitudes and avoid stereotypes uh, for people with obesity so that we can reduce weight bias in the profession as a whole? Well, I love that you mentioned some of the like facility setting type things like, you know, having 
you know, bariatric chairs available. You know, those are, those are things that I think set the stage that if your patient is uncomfortable in the environment, they're uncomfortable in the waiting room, somebody else made them feel uncomfortable as they were being checked in, then maybe they're not going to be as receptive when they, when they finally get to the outpatient dietitian to have a conversation or, you know, similarly in the inpatient setting, you know, I think all of that plays a role in how receptive individuals are to having these crucial conversations about their health. Absolutely. And even dietitians working in the private practice setting, when you're purchasing your furniture for your office, looking at the weight limits of some of the chairs that you're looking into, or if you're trying to get a couch for your waiting area, making sure that it can accommodate a wide range of sizes, um, that can be a really interesting thing to think about in, in terms of reducing your weight bias. Have you seen any specific information about performing a nutrition-focused physical exam with weight bias in mind so that we don't miss a malnutrition diagnosis? Um, I, I'm not super aware of anything or along those lines, but I would say that in my you know, clinical experience, I've seen that oftentimes you can see muscle and fat wasting more clearly along the face more quickly than you would in other parts of the body. And so even among patients who might have large amounts of adipose tissue elsewhere, um, looking at the face first can be somewhere that you might see muscle or fat wasting. Um, but I would say that in the eating disorder setting, looking at weight changes too can be really important because when you're thinking about something like refeeding syndrome among somebody who might have an eating disorder such as anorexia, it can still happen among patients that are in higher, um, at higher body weights. And so if you're seeing that reduction of caloric intake and weight loss that happens rather rapidly, I have seen refeeding syndrome occur even among people that are at higher body weights. So I would say trying to keep an open mind is a really good idea when looking at assessing malnutrition risk or assessing refeeding risk across the, the weight span. I've seen some pretty cool um, features in some of the the larger electronic medical records too, where you can do weight trending over time, just like you can trend lab, you know, lab values, et cetera, um, to really try to catch some of those subtle weight changes that maybe the person is still in that obese or overweight category, but they're trending down and it's unintentional. That could be a, an indication that there's a problem. Yeah, and I think the dietitian can be a great um, part of the healthcare team in communicating that to the rest of the team. Because in my experience in the eating disorder setting, often the dietitian was the one that knew the most on the healthcare team about things like refeeding syndrome. And so really speaking up about that, even when the patient might not be something that a doctor would think of as at risk of refeeding syndrome or malnutrition could be really important. Well, we've talked about bias on this podcast in other contexts, you know, a lot with our efforts to focus on inclusion, diversity, equity, and access. Um, and we've heard some great tips about how you can identify um, bias, you know, with respect to idea within your practice. But what would you recommend that clinicians do to avoid weight bias as they're, you know, interacting and treating patients? I think a good place to start would be assessing your own levels of bias. So kind of thinking informally about, you know, what are my attitudes about obesity? 
what are the things that I think about when I think about somebody that might have a higher body weight? And there are some interesting free tools that you can get online that can help you assess um, your level of implicit weight bias. So Project Implicit is one that you can you can do a test um, on weight bias. There's a specific one to test for that. So that can be a good place to start is kind of reflecting on some of your attitudes about that. Um, and I, I would say on a practical level, just really taking a patient-centered approach can be something that can really help in decreasing weight bias. Keeping an open mind and not going into an interaction with the patient, expecting it to go a certain way, and really trying to listen to that patient's concerns without having preconceived judgments or notions of what that patient might be like or what their concerns might be. Um, and of course, this is something that you should do across the span of all patient care, but especially when you're dealing with somebody who may have experienced weight bias before, I think having an increased level of sensitivity to that sort of thing can be a good practice for dietitians to get into. Do you have any thoughts on how a clinician can handle if, you know, they've, they've done the work for themselves, they've identified their own weight biases, and now it's like your vision is expanded and you're now you're seeing white weight bias impacting the care that other individuals are providing. So how can how can we tactfully handle that to help others maybe see or overcome their weight biases? That's a really good question. And I think this is something that can be really difficult to do. It's really difficult to change attitudes about weight. And we've seen that in the research where we've tried to actually decrease weight bias in, in individuals and groups. And a lot of times an intervention might work in the short term, but changing long-term attitudes, especially ones that are really ingrained can be very difficult. Um, I would say that if you have a good relationship with your colleagues, perhaps starting a journal club and talking about weight bias or an article about weight bias, or even an article about some of the complex ideologies of obesity can be a good way that you might start with trying to change some of those attitudes. Because a lot of the thought about why weight bias exists is goes back to the causes of obesity and beliefs about the causes of obesity. So trying to address some of those ingrained beliefs about why people might have a higher body weight can be a helpful way to expand somebody's view of obesity and the causes of it, and then therefore perhaps change some of those stereotypes about obesity. But I will say that is just a really tricky scenario and one that I think the research is still evolving on. Well, I really like your idea of, of creating something like a recurring journal club to talk about these issues um, as, you know, that's a way that we can all learn and grow together. And it's, it's a bit non-confrontational, right? We're not saying, I think you're mm -hmm. doing something wrong. Let's talk about it versus let's all get better together. Exactly. Well, we're, we're just about out of time. Um, so we will go ahead and conclude today's podcast. But thank you, Erica, so much for taking time out of your schedule to chat with us today about this really important topic. Yeah, of course. Happy to do it. And listeners, be sure that you check out Erica's article. Again, it is entitled Communicating About Weight Bias in Dietetics Practice, Recommendations for Reduction of Weight Bias and Stigma. It's published in the Journal of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, Volume 121, Issue 9. And then after you've read this great information, be sure you come back and chat about it on the DNS forum. You can find that at dnsdpg.org. 
Until next time, I'm Christina Rollins. Thanks for listening.